invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter as we continue our series through 1 Peter during this Lenten time. As you're turning there this morning, I want to highlight that during Lent last week, we kind of gave the seven-minute challenge that each day each of us would take a personal Sabbath, we'd encounter God as we open up His Word to be refreshed, to be reminded of God's purpose in our life and reminded of who God is and what God has done. So to guide our seven-minute challenge, our personal Sabbath each day, there's provided a reading plan each day of the week. And you can pick this up on your way out this morning. There's different scripture passages to look at and then some questions to think about as you read each scripture passage. This is just a good opportunity to begin to build the habit of personal Bible reading and begin to build the habit of what to look for as we're reading the Bible and uh, just build good understanding that Scripture is revelation to us of God and God's purposes for us. So I'd encourage you to pick up the Bible reading plan and then also on the back of it is the questions that will be discussed in the various small groups over the, this next week. And so that will be available every Sunday and it's also available on the website then on Sunday afternoons. So I'd encourage you to pick this up. This is a great opportunity to participate to dig in at a new level. And especially, especially over the next five weeks as conversation heats up about a facility and where to think, all attention is going to go there. I already know that, right? Because we can see it. Everybody thinks that when we get a building, we're just going to go crazy and now we're settled for good. That's just not true at all. A building is a tool. I personally believe that over the next five weeks, this needs to be on the forefront of our minds because this will keep us centered on God's desire for us. We need to be in God's Word every single day, remaining centered on what He has for us. So I can't encourage you enough to dig in, grab on to this, and let's enjoy the ride together. We're going to be reading this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with the 13th verse. Therefore, prepare your, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. Do you consider God to be significant in your life? I imagine the majority of us this morning would be willing to answer that question with a yes, that we consider God to be a significant part of our life. And if he's a significant part of our life, most of us would probably then say that he, he's a relative part of our, our life, that he's relevant 
to what we do on a day-to-day basis. Those things that are significant to us are usually relevant to what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Well, would you consider that God is a significant part of our culture? Or would you think that our culture has a a mass misawareness of God and the significance of Him and His purposes for creation? How would you determine if God is significant in someone's life? How do you determine if God is relevant to what's going on in your life? Most of the time in the church, we want to be relevant, right? Because we want people to come. And so we've got to find a relevant message to sell. And so now, this morning, we give the message that would never be put on the church sign outside. The message that would never sell thing. But it's the message that actually argues why the church is relevant. When in the majority of the time, we try to make the church relevant by trying to adjust our message to meet what's going on in people's lives. But the relevancy of God and the significancy of God is not based upon what's going on in our lives. It's based upon upon God himself and what he has revealed regarding our conduct and our behavior. If God wants to be involved in all of our conduct and all of our behavior, how is God not relevant? God wants to have a say over all of creation. So how can God not be relevant? in our day-to-day lives if God wants to have a say in all of our behavior and in all of our conduct. This morning, I would argue that 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25 is laying out that God is significant in your life when your behavior reflects the character of God. That to say God is significant and not have your behavior reflect His character is just inconsistent. But this morning... God's word is calling us to a life of consistency where our behavior and our conduct would reflect the character of our creator. And so we start out this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to get an understanding of what should our mindset, what should our position be when we begin to hear these commands of God about our conduct. You see, now for the rest of the letter here in 1 Peter, you're going to be hearing a lot of commands. It's going to be like command after command, exhortation after exhortation. Well, what position should we be in when we hear those commands? Verse 13 kind of lays it out. Peter's basically laying out for us what position we should be in. He says, preparing your minds and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is he's basically saying, hey, be in the ready position And you're in the ready position because you're expecting Jesus to come back and bring you that imperishable inheritance. That's your expectation. That's your hope. So if your hope and your expectation is Jesus coming again, you are then eager to hear from Jesus. If you have a King James Version this morning, that verse 13 might say something like, gird up your loins. In other words, what's really being said here, it's giving us the word picture of grab all of those long flowing robes and grab them up, bring them up, and wrap them around so you're ready to run. Basically, Peter is saying here, hey, you should be in a position. Now when you hear these commands, you're in a position of ready, set, go. It's kind of like um, when you hear good news about something, you're ready for more. So Peter uses the word therefore at the beginning of this sentence. What he's saying, uh, what he's saying is, hey, in light of everything I just told you, in light of last week's sermon, we don't have time to redo it now, 
But in light of verses 1 through 12, where God told us about his mercy, where God gave us the message about the imperishable inheritance, in light of all that good news, Peter is saying, okay, now get in the ready, set position. It's kind of like when you're at home with your brothers and your sisters, and your mom or dad calls one of your older brothers and sisters and says, hey, we'll be home in five minutes, and we've got a 20-piece chicken McNugget from McDonald's. What position does everybody get in when that message is delivered? Everybody to the front window. Open the door right up against the glass. You're ready, right? You want mom and dad to get home because you're ready for those McNuggets. Because you heard good news and now you're in a position of anxiousness. You want it to come. That's the picture that Peter's given us this morning is to get in that position. We want to hear the commands of God because of what God has done for us. And now we're ready. We're thinking clearly and we're ready to act when we hear it. The problem is the majority of us wake up in the morning and we take a shot of sarcasm. And so when we hear something, what do we usually say? Prove it to me. And then when it's proved, prove it to me again with a little bit more information. And then after it's proved us, we even say a little bit more. Well, now that you've proved it to me, motivate me. And so we usually come in a position of what? We need to be convinced and we need to be motivated. The Apostle Peter here is basically saying, hey, <laughs> your convincing is what God has done for you. Your motivation is the coming Jesus Christ in your imperishable inheritance. That's the convincing of what God has done. The motivation is the coming Jesus Christ. So now you're in this position, ready to hear. And what's the command that we hear? The first command that we hear is probably the most difficult, and it kind of covers all of the commands. The first command that we hear, verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. Be holy. Now, this doesn't sell well, right? When's the last time you saw a church advertise, come and hear how to be holy? No one wants to be holy, think. But what does it mean to be holy? Holy's really got, to be holy has two parts to it, is to be separate and then to be devoted. So to be holy means to be separate from that which is evil or impure, while at the exact same time being devoted to that which is pure. So you had the Sabbath, for example, that's called the Holy Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy because it's separated from our day-to-day routines and activities, but at the same time, it's dedicated to God. So you know, some people take a Sabbath, maybe it's losing ground, but sometime in the, some places in the Midwest, you still see no machinery out in the field on Sunday. Some people are all saying, well, some of those have a holy Sabbath. Others of those just have a Sabbath. Those that just park the machinery because, hey, everybody else has got the machinery parked and I don't want to be spoken less of at the local greenery that we're working on a Sunday thing. But they're just sitting home watching football and March Madness on Sunday. The other individual parks the machinery and separates from the regular activity so that the day can be devoted to God. It's not holy just to be separate, but you have to have the devotion. For us to be, sep- to, for us to be holy, it means for us to separate ourselves from that which is evil or impure and to devote ourselves to that which is pure, to God's character. Now, when we think of separate, most of us think probably like, hey, let's just get away from stuff. 
Well, when we look at the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ, and if we consider Jesus to be the perfect reflection of a holy God, so Jesus was what it was like to live a perfectly holy life. Jesus did not separate from society. He separated from evil and impure conduct and thought patterns. So it is possible for us to remain in culture, but yet still separate from the evil conduct and different wayward thought patterns. So Jesus separated from that and devoted himself to the righteousness of God, to pursuing his Father's perfection in his conduct and in his behavior. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we get an example for us on how to separate from evil and how to pursue holiness or the perfections of our Heavenly Father. This morning, God is saying to us, pursue holiness. And notice what he says here, if you have a pen with you, underline in verse 15, pursue holiness or be holy in all your conduct. God wants all of our conduct to be separated from impurity, evil. He wants all of our conduct to reflect his excellency, his character to the world around us. We should be in pursuit of holiness. Why? Why should we be in pursuit of holiness? First, he says, you should pursue holiness. Why? For I am holy. He's saying, hey, the God who called you is holy, so therefore you should be holy. We look back in Leviticus, and as we read Leviticus chapter 19 this morning, the same foundation is given. So God says to the people of Israel, hey, be holy, and then he gives a bunch of other commands. Notice at the end of all the commands, he always says, for I am the Lord your God. So he's saying, hey, do this because I am God. So for us to properly reflect the character of the one who's called us, we need to be holy because his character is holy. The call to holiness is not to get right in God's eyes, but it's simply to reflect his character to the world around us. It's because this is the way God wants the world to interact with one another, is by exhibiting his holiness. So often in the church, we want to walk this really thin line of grace and obedience. And we're like, oh, what do we do? Think. We want to be a graceful church, but yet at the same time, we want to make sure we're lifting up the word of God. And so we set them almost as they're opposing one another. Their grace and obedience are never in opposition in Scripture. They're working in tandem together. God has always been a graceful God. In the Old Testament, God was graceful. God did not have to choose the nation Israel. He chose them. God did not have to stick with the nation of Israel. They wandered. He stuck with them. God did not have to send his son Jesus, but God took the initiative. And then God at the exact same time in all of this is calling for our obedience. Not to earn his grace because his grace has already been given, but to simply do everything that he commands because he is God. Holy, be holy because God is saying be holy and because he is holy. In real simple terms, we've lost the high view, high reverence of God. And we need to return to having a high view or reverence of God. And that's what Peter's getting after next here. Is he's arguing now, he says, hey, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, Peter's saying, hey, you need to fear God. Think, while you're still a stranger on earth, 
awaiting your imperishable inheritance. Now, we live in a weird time where you go to counseling if you fear God. We think of fearing as being unhealthy. But having a respect for authority or God is actually healthy. Think of it this way for a second. I know we've got a lot of AAA drivers in here, so this is going to be hard to relate to. But for a second, imagine thing that you're driving down Sycamore, and you're driving down Sycamore, and you got her down to 49 thing. As you're going 49 in Sycamore, you look ahead on the right, oh, one of the local Sioux Falls police officers. When you see the local Sioux Falls police officer and you got 49, what are you usually going to do? Tap on the brake thing. I mean, if you don't tap on the brake, what? You've got issues thing. So if I tapped on the brake when I saw police officers, would you say to me, you've got a really unhealthy idea of fear and authority thing. You, you need to get some counseling for the way that you respect the local law enforcement. It's not unhealthy to have a respect of authority. Now, I'm not arguing that God is a cop. I'm using the illustration to help us understand it's healthy to respect authority, to have a fear of authority. If we don't have a fear of authority, what do we do? Just whatever, whenever, and just bring on the consequences, right? But we need to have a fear of God. We need to have a healthy respect that knows God is the owner of all things. And what it says here, that God is a Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. We should live our lives in reverence to God because God is going to lay down judgment. If we don't recognize God as a judge, then we should extremely be afraid, actually live in terror because of the judgment we face. As followers of Christ, we live with a, a reverence of God because we know who God is, what God has done, what God will do, but we don't live in terror or fright of God because we know the judgment is already taken care of with Christ on the cross. But if we don't have that, we should tremble because of the judgment coming. It's not unhealthy to fear God. Actually, if we're going to begin pursuing holiness, it begins by elevating our thoughts about God. A.W. Tozer once said that the most important thing about a person is the first thoughts that come into their mind about God. That your th the way you think about God directs how you respond to God and how you conduct yourselves here on earth. Think of it this way for a second. Uh, think of a person that you have a lot of respect for, someone that you look up for. When they speak, what do you usually do? You listen. Someone that you respect and someone whose opinion you hold high, when they say, hey, yeah, you should uh, get a bike with this type of lights, well, you go get a bike with that type of lights because you respect them. You have a high view of them. When we begin to have a high view of God, when we begin to actually place God where God is and where God is revealed from Scripture, then we begin to respond saying, yes, God, you're in charge. It's unhealthy if we don't fear God. But it's healthy if we revere authority and we revere God for who He's revealed to be in Scripture. The pursuit of holiness begins by fearing God or elevating our thinking about who God is. Not only 
Because Peter's saying, hey, you've got to be holy because there is a creator out there who owns everything and is going to judge everything. But then he says, and he really now gets to the heart of the matter for us, those of us who claim Christ. He says, hey, if you're not pursuing holiness, you're being inconsistent. Look with me here at verse 18. So he's saying, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He's basically saying here, hey, (laughs) be holy because you were ransomed, you were redeemed, or you were saved from that previous way of life through the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're going to continue to do the very things that God ransomed you from, there's some inconsistency there. Basically, hey, Jesus didn't just die for your sin so you could be forgiven for your sin and continue in your sin. That's where the inconsistency is. If we say, hey, yeah, I'm forgiven. Uh, Jesus died for me. Let me just continue doing what I want. Peter's saying, hey, there's major inconsistency there. That Christ's death on the cross was not just a legal activity that took place. Sometimes when we think of Jesus' death on the cross, we think of it as just this legal thing that took place where, okay, Jesus died on the cross, now the books are balanced in heaven, I'm good to go. Jesus' death on the cross solved a major legal problem for all of us, the biggest legal problem we all face. At the exact same time as that, it seeks to solve the experiential problem all of us have of dying to sin and living to righteousness. That the desire of Christ is not that he forgives us through his death on the cross and then we continue in that behavior that he's forgiven us of, but that he forgives us and he frees us. This week you're going to be reading in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6 and some of your assigned reading, and you're going to see a lot of language about being united to Christ in his death and also in his resurrection. The whole whole idea is that when Christ dies on the cross, we die with him. But not just in the legal sense that we're forgiven, but also in the experiential sense that we begin to die to sin in our daily lives. That every single day we're putting to death the very things that Christ died for. And we're beginning to live this new life that Christ purchased for us. Peter's arguing here, hey, if you don't pursue holiness... You're simply being inconsistent. The consistent response to Christ on the cross is one of confession and one of commitment. The consistent response to Christ on the cross is one of confession and one of commitment. Famous song that we sing, Wondrous Cross, finishes with what? Demands my soul, my life, my all. The cross doesn't just solve a legal problem for us. It actually begins to free us to offer our whole life back to God so that all of our behavior, all of our conduct can reflect his character to the world around us. This morning, we're being called to a life of consistency. And that life of consistency begins when we have a high view of God, acknowledging God to be the author and the owner of all things. And when we have a high view of God, we begin to pursue holiness, where we begin to separate ourselves from that which is evil and begin to devote ourselves to that which is pure so that God's character can be reflected to the world around us. So what do we do here and now? 
What do we do here and now? We, I think we'd all agree this morning, right, that God is God, that Jesus has died on the cross, that Christ has forgiven us and wants to free us. I, I would argue the majority of us are going to agree with that. So what's the here and now? The here and now is, is, is simple, yet extremely difficult. The here and now is that we would identify an empty way or a passion gone awry in our lives. This next week, if we want to begin to pursue holiness, we have to actually identify something in our life that is an empty way, that is a passion gone awry, something that is futile, that Christ actually saved us from, that we're still just living in. So often in the church, we talk about sin in the general sense. Yeah, we're all sinners. Let's all gather together and say we're sinners. Christ has forgiven specific sin in our life. The Ten Commandments reveal specific things in our lives. This morning, we want to begin pursuing holiness. We've got to get down and begin to identify some of those things in all of our hearts and minds that have gone awry and begin to ask God, God, free us. God, enable me in this area to reflect your character. In all of our conduct, we are to be holy. If you want to do the here and now, we need to identify something in our hearts and our minds. And all of us can do it. All of us can identify a thought pattern. All of us can identify an action that we know is against the pattern that God has revealed in His Word. And if we're going to pursue holiness, we need to get practical and identify those things. This morning, every one of you does things for a certain, re- certain reason. All of our behavior flows from something else going on, right? We, do, we behave certain ways because of the way we think or certain things. So for example, a lot of times what do we say? Well, they're doing it. Well, they did that, so it's fair for me to respond this way. The majority of time, the basis for our behavior is other people's behavior. But God is actually laying out something completely different here. That the basis for our behavior is not the way other people behave, not the way other people respond, but is actually the character of God himself. There's a really tough passage that we read this morning in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about, hey, <laughs> love your enemies. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, so if you don't do that stuff, you're really no different than anyone else. And then Jesus finishes by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Notice the foundation. The foundation is what? The perfection of God. The foundation for loving your enemy The foundation for treating someone a certain way is not the way they respond or the way they initiate. The foundation is God's perfection. The basis for our behavior is God's character. Therefore, God desires that we reflect His character to the world around us. Maybe when we started today, everybody was in that ready, set, go position, right? Everybody's like, okay, bring it on! Yeah, Jesus died for us. We got an imperishable inheritance. Bring on those commands. We're ready for them. And then you hear the commands and you're like, <laughs> really? Thing? Thing? So we think we hear a lot, but as we're hearing all of this, we're also hearing a ton of good news. Think of the good news that we've heard this morning. The good news that we've been ransomed 
from futile ways through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we've done, nothing that our behavior has accomplished, but all that God has done for us. We hear all of these commands at the exact same time. We hear a lot of good news that we've been purchased to be God's children. Years ago when I was in high school playing on the basketball team, believe it or not, I was actually captain of the basketball team. Thing. We had a coach that just was ornery fella. Thing. He was yelling and screaming constantly. Just practice was full. Run faster. Come on. Make that free throw after running those laps. And it was just constant thing. Well, one day we were kind of doing a layup drill thing. So we're doing the layup drill. A couple people, not myself, of course, a couple other people are just goofing around, throwing up weird layups, doing some different stuff. And the coach was frustrated, yelling, of course, inappropriate, inappropriate things and, and yelling. Still, everybody's just messing around. Finally, coach had it. Think. Coach had it. Coach picks up a basketball as one of the players is going in to do one of his fancy layups, takes the ball and chucks it at the kid, nails him right in the back of the head. Thing. Now, if you do that today, thing, you're looking for work. But what do you think happened? The coach had everyone's attention right there. That layup drill went like clockwork the rest of practice. Now, I'm not saying this morning that God's got a basketball in the heavens and is going to throw it down and nail you on the back of the head. God's actually gone a lot further. God sent his son to the cross and killed him. God sent his son to the cross and said, enough is enough. And now God basically says, does the cross get your attention? Does that reveal to you how serious I take sin? God gets our attention by the cross. And when we come to the cross, there's nothing else to do but to confess and also stay and commit. This morning, as you leave here today, I'm sure that you'll say, I'm serious about God. God is significant in my life. At the end of the day, who cares what anyone says walking out the doors? The question is, at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, does my conduct and my behavior say, God is significant in my life. Or, at noon on Wednesday, does my behavior and my conduct say, the cross of Jesus Christ got my attention. The cross of Jesus Christ transformed my life. You've been ransomed. You've been given an imperishable inheritance. Jesus Christ has already gone to work on the cross. And now he calls us to come and to confess and enter into pursuit of holiness. This morning, I invite you to respond to that pursuit and to cry out to God with a simple prayer. God, take my life and let it be consecrated to you. This morning, we're going to sing a song that most of us know. Simple words, take my life and let it be. You could basically sum up this song by saying, God, I want to be holy. That's what it's all about. 
consecrated, set apart for God's use. And each verse takes us one step further. God, take everything. All of my life, let all of my life reflect your holiness. Let all of my conduct reflect your beauty. This morning, I'm not asking you to stand and say, take my life. But the cross of Jesus Christ is demanding that we say, take my life and let it be. Let us pray. Almighty God, we recognize that we have fallen short. We recognize that we are unholy. God, I pray now this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would grant us a desire to pursue holiness. And Lord, this morning we pray that you'd make it a true desire of our minds to reflect your character in all of our own behavior. Lord, thank you for giving your life on our behalf. Thank you. And we confess to you our wrongdoing. We acknowledge that our security is not in our behavior, but our security is in the cross of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience. We ask that you, O now, O Lord, would seal the work in our own hearts and our own minds. Bring us to life. Enable us to pursue holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.